Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So first and foremost, I love finding out how people live, how they live in their homes, and then slowly deciphering why they live that way and being able to create something for someone just by cues or picking up on what they're interested in or conversations, that is the ultimate for me, to create a home. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Being Home with Hunker. I'm your host, Lori Gunning-Grossman. So we have something a bit different for today's show. We're bringing you a live podcast conversation. This past October, we had the pleasure of welcoming interior designer and author Nita Freudenberger to Hunker House for a live recording of this podcast. What's Hunker House, you might ask? It's Hunker's real-life space located on Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice, California. This is where we gather to bring our design obsessions, conversations, and ideas to life, and it provided the ideal setting for this intimate conversation. Nina is no stranger to this podcast. I first had her on the show in 2021, and after that talk ended, I realized that I had even more questions I wanted to ask her. So I was delighted when she agreed to come back to hunker, yet this time in front of a live audience. If you scroll through Instagram or Pinterest, most likely you've seen Nina's design books, Surf Shack, or Bibliostyle, styled on coffee tables or bookshelves. Her third book on mountain houses will be available next fall 2023. As the founder of Freudenberger Design Studio, she's known for her impeccable taste, seen through her residential and hospitality projects, such as the San Luis Creek Lodge in California, which I personally went to and can recommend. Nina is a wealth of information and inspiration for anyone who loves design, wants to write a design book, or is interested in an interior design career or side hustle. So let's welcome our guest live and in person from Hunker House, Nina Freudenberger. Let's start the party. Who's with me? Okay. Yay! <laughs> All right, Nina's here. Hi. Okay, get a load of this. I looked at my calendar 
A year ago yesterday was when you and I had our first conversation for the podcast. That is fascinating. It was October 26th, a year ago, yesterday. Yeah. And that was when we sat down and had our first conversation. We chatted. Love that convo. I fell in love with you as a person. (laughs) So we have had you on the podcast, which is amazing. And talked a little bit about your background, but I'm going to just go over a couple things right now. So if anyone is unfamiliar, so you have your own design firm, mm-hmm. Freudenberger Design Studio. Yes. So you work with residential spaces. Mm-hmm. You work in hospitality. Mm-hmm. You have designed two hotels here in California. Yes. One of them I visited after we spoke, the San Luis Creek Lodge. Loved it. Highly recommend it. Fabulous. Yes. You make product, Mm -hmm. you have rugs, Mm -hmm. you also have um, other products as well, but you have your design books, which we're going to talk about. Surf Shack, Uh Biblio Style, you're working on your third one, Mm -hmm. Mountain Houses. Yes. Nina, what is up with all of this? I don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) We kind of touched upon about this before. There's a lot you've got going on. There is. Yeah. When you list it like that. Yeah. It sounds like really like I I probably should like focus or like talk to someone about like some (laughs) focus issues or something. But I do um, I do have a lot of avenues and things that I'm interested in, and um, they all take a lot of time and they all happen at different phases, and it's not happening all simultaneously. Right. But there is always consistently my interior design business, and then at any given period in like, you know, I'll be focusing on the rug collection or then doing the book. So um, I'm not a, totally insane, but, it, but it's all happening. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. those things. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So you are creating these spaces. Yep that make the spaces happy, make people happy. So what makes you happy doing your work as an interior designer? Why is this work meaningful for you? So, I th- and I think this is part of the conversation about the books too, but I am obsessed with how people live. Yeah. Like, I just love it. If you know me, you'll, I'll ask you the weirdest questions, like for no reason. Like, the, you'll be like, oh, I just went home and had dinner. And I'm like, well, what'd you have for dinner? Yeah. And then they're like, I mean, like no one asked that good. That's so like invasive. But then I'll be like, what were, were you like? Did you put on like comfortable clothes? Were you sitting and talking to your husband? Did you have a cocktail before? Like, did you like were your kids awake? Or like, I have, I need the details. Yeah. And it's just, it's always been a weird thing, but I love to know how other people live. And it's a way for me to understand why I live the way I live. And then I, but I'm also interested in this idea that we're all doing the same things. We all have this need for shelter. We're all seeking comfort. We all go to sleep at night. We all have our dinner with, you know, alone or with people, but we're doing this all at home. And it's just so interesting to me how people do it all differently, you know? Yeah. And I always remember going into friends, families, homes when I was like a teenager and the house smelled different. Do you remember? It was like, and the styles were totally different. But it was like they were just living in a different little like world, yeah. you know, yeah. and um, I just find that to be so beautiful and interesting. So first and foremost, I love finding out how people live and how they live in their homes and then slowly de- deciphering why they live that way. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just and being able to create something for someone just by cues or picking up on their what they're interested in or conversations that is the ultimate for me, to create a home. Yeah, and so then is that how you get into people's minds when you're working with them because you want to create a home Mm -hmm. that reflects them, their identity, 
and create something where they're going to feel like they're going to walk in the door and be like, this is me. Yeah. So how do you get into their minds? What do you talk to them about? What do you ask them? Oh, so many questions. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's like, I, oh, I feel really strongly that it's not about me mm-hmm. ever. I can certainly put my um, like ideas and thoughts like and present moments that are is me in the project. Yeah. But it's not my house. So there is that view that some designers come in and they just, you know, uh, a homeowner wants that kind of house. But that doesn't feel authentic. Like, imagine living in a house that feels like someone else's. That'd be so disappointing. Yeah. So the first thing I do is I really don't, I do talk because I can't help myself. I cannot control the words all the time. But the rule someone once told me was, like, really ask more questions and let them talk more than you talk. And so I'm really careful of that ratio. And I think interior designers love to go in and be like, I think you should do this and like put that on there and like you need new drapes and like show off a little bit. But really, I always know when I go to a conversation and someone's asked more questions of me than I've asked of them, I'm like, wow, I felt like I, someone needed to know about me. Mm -hmm. And that feels good. We all want to be heard, right? right? Right. And so I really ask those clients a tremendous amount of questions, not like, you know, I don't start with the personal questions like up front, but, you know, we do get there eventually, you know, like where, what side of the bed do you sleep on? Like, you know, I have to literally have to know those things. Mm. And so, but we, I also talk about like, what do you imagine your style to be? The, sometimes they'll take me a tour of their closet and talk about fabrics. Um, they talk about the health of their pets. Like my dog has, you know, is old and is vomiting on the carpets. Like I know that that poor dog in two months, you know, it's just like, I really, you become so into their lives so quickly, but you have to listen and you have to ask questions. Wow. So do you feel like for someone who wants to get into interior design, this is an essential part? What do you think is important? People who want to do interior design or people who just like write about interior design, what do they need to love aside from design? You need to love how people, you need to love people. Uh You really have to (laughs) love people. Um, And then I think you have to also really appreciate everyone's perspective. And I think that is, there is no right or wrong. There Mm -hmm. are just, there are beautiful things in all different forms. And I think that interest is enough to kind of bring you, to make you a good designer. What if you don't like people? Well, what do you then, do? Uh, then <laughs> maybe there's a different profession. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. Okay. So, say there's someone listening to this conversation and they want to start in the world of interior design. They want to start a business, and it can either be like just like a little side hustle, or they want to work with some friends. You know. So I think people imagine like, oh, I have to think about paint colors, or I have to think about styles do they want modern you know do they want traditional but what are some other things as people are creating a business that you feel like could be very helpful for them to know that they might not even think about well i think if someone's interested in doing interior design i mean i think the number one is be realistic about what the profession actually is okay okay tell us about because it's like i think people think that i like run around and like shop every Mm -hmm. day and i Mm -hmm. just like get to do whatever i want and like i'm just like i'll take that i'll take that like pretty woman style (laughs) yeah that's not what's happening yeah yeah you know i'm literally on the phone with like a like you know fedex and i'm like are i cannot pick up that package i can't there's no like sticker here or i'm unpacking a box that has like so many of those like little peanuts in there and then i have to like spend a half hour cleaning up or like you know 
I, I mean, you name it, and like I'm like scrubbing out a stain in like a vintage Moroccan. It is not what you think it is. Mm. It is not what you think it is. So even though our design work is a large portion of the project, there's the logistics behind it mm -hmm. that, you know, is huge. So you really have to decide that you're in it for the business aspect, not just because you think your interiors are pretty. Yeah. If you're only interested in beautiful interiors, you can do it for yourself, do it for your family. But the business of interior design is very different. I mean, half some days I spend half the day invoicing. The other day I go to the workrooms and make sure the finishes are correct. The other day I'm like organizing my material library or I don't know, shopping for light bulbs. But if you love interior design, all of those things kind of happen. And with ease, you're not freaked out by them. Yeah, yeah. But it's just, they're logistics. And so that's one thing. I think a lot of people have really good taste. So I want to say that because I think that's part of interior design, but I also think like managing that back end stuff is super critical. Yeah. So I think speaking with an interior designer that has a lot of experience, you know, when I started out, I didn't ask enough professionals real questions. Mm -hmm. Like when I opened my brick and mortar store, I didn't even ask a single store owner what it was like to have a store in New York City. Uh -huh. I mean, that would have really gone a long way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I literally didn't even know what a point of sales was. Like yeah. I actually didn't know how to ring someone up. Okay. And it was the night before my <laughs> store opener opening and yeah. I just got like the Shopify, app, like the program oh on the computer. God. I was like, I don't even have skew coats, yeah. like bonkers, yeah. like totally nuts. Yeah. But I had picked out like, spent three weeks researching tissue paper. <laughs> I knew the pen people would sign yeah. for, but like literally nothing was working. So it was like, you know, just speaking to someone is huge. And I also think everyone is accessible. You would be shocked. And I learned that through the books. You can get to anyone mm. and almost everyone will talk to you because people like to talk about themselves. So just shoot someone an email and yeah. they will respond. Yeah. And if not, fine. Like you didn't want to talk to them anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I just think uh, advice and making sure that that's the right move for you for sure. And start small. Like, you know, the other thing with interior designer is like design is like you can't build your portfolio until you have a lot of projects completed. Projects take a year and a half sometimes. So, you know, you might have three years of projects that, are not even good to shoot and you don't want to mm. even put that forward. It is, it is, takes a tremendous amount of time to build a portfolio. Yeah. So you have to be committed to that and be kind of ready to kind of hustle along the way. It's a journey. Got to have the hustle. So would you say that people should, if they're starting out, just take any project, take smaller projects that yes. maybe wouldn't take as long so they can build their portfolio? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to decide what your value is. I mean, I think some people are starting off their careers by doing their own home. I think that's a nice start. Yeah. Like start small, yeah. you know, um, don't think you're going to do like a castle in the south of France, like on year two, like, you know, so just kind of go with what's coming to you. You have to, you have to come up with new avenues. You can't, Interior design, you can't necessarily advertise. So you got to find a way to connect with people. Is it brokers who are just selling houses? Is it a developer? Are you introducing yourself to other people in the industry, vendors, or, you know, the, make sure that the, your furniture maker knows that you exist, you know, so that if he has a client and they want more things in the room, they can recommend you, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Now, in addition to like doing that, where you're talking to vendors and introducing yourself to them. Like, what are some creative, clever ways for people to find clients? Like, how did you find your first client, just you as your own business, not when you were 
at the architectural firm in New York when you just went off. How'd you find this person? It was actually just word of mouth and mm -hmm. it's referrals. Being at another interior design firm was very helpful because yeah. I didn't get those projects directly, like the, none of those clients, I would never approach a client, right? But like, you know, the clients would have a friend and they'd be like, oh, Nina just went out on her own. Why don't you give her a call? Mm. That project's not big enough for the firm, but she might take it. Oh, well, that's and nice. And I was like, I will take yeah, it. Yeah, that's nice. I was like, it's a powder room, but I'll totally take <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think that really helps. So to come in completely out of the dark, someone has to see something you've done. Otherwise, yeah. you're just providing a service exclusively service-based and then you might get pigeonholed and like they, they need to know that you've done that your strength is design yeah. not just like being an assistant and like right. getting a garbage can for the laundry room yeah do you remember what it felt like when you completed your first project on your own I think I was like I was like so I can barely remember those years because it was so hard. It was crazy. Really? Yeah. yeah. It was like in New York City yep. and the hustle's so hard. And it was just, it was super intense. Yeah. I just would take like every project really that came my way. And yeah. some of them were successes and some of them were total failures. Uh-huh. Like you gotta total have the failures failure. sometimes, right? Uh-oh. So, yeah. yeah. You know, I think, and I think that's part of it. But I do, um, you know, it really took a long time and more than I expected. And yeah. so there really were moments where I was like, I can't, this is, I'm going, I'm just bailing on this. Yeah. And you just have to just keep pushing through those super dark, you know, really challenging times. Yeah. You know, so. Gotta have a little hustle. You gotta hustle. Yeah. In New York City, everyone's hustling. So you have to like hustle extra hard. Oh boy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it is like, you're just like actually like a little bit of a lunatic, but you just go for it. <laughs> and you were like, to hell with that. I'm coming to California. Uh, well, I, I came to California after I had already done hustle number one. Uh-huh. So then yes. I had to do hustle again, mm -hmm. which was like, I had like, I thought I had like nothing left to give. Turns out if I have to, I'll just keep hustling. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think that the hustle that's like part of your genius zone? Like, have you ever heard Gay Hendricks talks about how people have a genius zone or you have your zone of competence or your zone of excellence? And so you can be like really great at what you do and that's kind of like your zone of excellence. Mm. When you think about like the work that you do with interior design and also being an author, which we're gonna talk about too, where do you feel like you shine the most? Like where's your zone of genius? I think my zone Great question. I like that's amazing. Um, I think my zone is kind of a threshold for risk that might be higher than I do things that I know nothing about. Ooh, yeah. Over and over again. Yeah. You know, someone asks me to design rugs, no idea what you're talking about. Like literally, just I don't what is a cup pile? I don't know. Yeah. Do you yeah. know? It's yeah. like opening a store. I actually don't know how to get money into the store because I don't understand the point of sale system. Mm. Like you can books, I'll tell you the story, but like really, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. And I just like sent out an email to an editor. I just like the wackiest thing. So I just don't, I'm not um, afraid. And I think the thing that I do is I just go for it. And if someone says no, or if it doesn't work out, 
over and over again, you can always redo. Just do it something else. Do something new. Do there's no fear. I guess I have no fear in that level. Is I love that weird? it. No, it's amazing. I mean, I'm fearful of everything, like waves and heights and airplanes. <laughs> yeah. So like, I'm mostly afraid. So don't get me wrong. But I'm not like, oh, tomorrow I'm like scaling El Capitan. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I like, there are certain things where I'm just not afraid of in business because I just, I mean. It's one life. It's so inspiring. I love it so much. And this makes me want to pivot and talk about your books, your design books. So you have said that, uh, I think I heard you say that design books are your passion, traveling is your passion. So you have been able to put them together mm -hmm. and now you are an author of design books that also enable you to travel and talk about risks because right before this podcast started, we were talking about your traveling to, wait, was it Patagonia? Patagonia. Patagonia. Yeah. And it's a wild story. So you're Crazy. putting yourself out there. I might have you share that story too, because I think it's part of this whole thing. But first of all, so you have surf shacks. Yeah. You have biblio style, mm -hmm. and you are now working on mountain houses, mm -hmm. which is coming out in fall 2023. Ooh, so exciting. Okay. So let's first talk about how you got to publish a book. Like, yeah. what was your process? Because from what I understand, everybody, there's a different process for everybody. Totally. So anybody who wants to know how to do it, um, this is one way, your way. This is my way. Okay, let's hear it. So I think I, there was like a point in my career in interior design where I was feeling like a little disheartened. Like I had hustled once, hustled twice, I'm now in California. And moving to California was really challenging. Like I moved here because of my husband and I, I was like, it's America. It's like the same country. How different can it be? <laughs> what was happening yeah. here? I was yeah. like, what is going on? Like, I waited in line for like 20 minutes for a coffee. I was like, why does everyone have a green juice? Does anyone have a job? Because why is everyone doing noon yoga? Yeah, yeah. I was like, are you showering after? Are you not? Like, how does that fit in? <laughs> no. yeah. Like, are you wearing that to the office? Because I'm pretty sure you're in sweatpants. Um, but then I, anyway, I just, and then everyone walking down the street at 5.30 in the morning with their surfboard. Like, you know, I was just like, I, like, I really came from a very, New York is very different. Like you work till like 11 at night. You're, you know, you're staying up and like having drinks till two. I mean, it was just, a, the world is very different there. And here it was just like, everyone was like, no one asked me what I did. No one cared. Mm. Like mm -hmm. that's not, no one asked that question here. Like yeah. literally no one gives like, you know, but in New York, actually, they don't even care about your name. They're like, what do you do? Ah. You know, so it literally, your identity really shifts when you come here. And then I was like, oh, God, I have to start interior design again. Mm -hmm. I had no client base, right? Mm -hmm. So it was, I really felt like, I really was like shocked. I had to do this whole thing again. And I was like, oh, it was so hard the first time that yeah. I was like, wow, I got to do this. And I was also confused about the style here. Very different. New York City was like, you know, I would do a little at Hamptons and we did some in Boston. But really, like, you're not jamming a ton of stuff in a house in New York City. I don't care if you have a five-bedroom. You're certainly not, like, you know, people kind of are trying to reduce what they have. You know, you're not jamming a thousand. Here, you have, like, a 7,000-square-foot home that you're, like, I don't, like, a table lamp disappears. It's as if it didn't exist. Right, right. So it was, like, this whole style. My, my entire, everything I knew about interior design kind of had to shift. 
Um, plus, the style is very different. I mean, mm. everyone's like a white wall. It's great yeah. here because yeah. it looks good. Yeah. And it's California <laughs> and the light's different. Yeah. And it was completely different for me. So when I got here, I was like, part of me was like confused and I wanted to explore what that was. And then the other half was like, I was kind of trying to test out what was happening because my career hadn't started here yet again as an interior designer. I was like, what am I going to do? Like, do I have a job? Like, what's happening right now? Mm. And so. I was speaking with someone over lunch and they were like, what do you want to do? I was like, I would just love to do a design book. And they were like, on what? And I was like, California, like what's happening here in Venice? Like, cause remember a couple years ago, maybe seven years ago, there was a lot of new buildings being built. There was this real friction between these old, the old kind of beach bungalows yeah. and these new houses. But there has been amazing stuff that's been happening here. So she was like, just, you know, I know someone in publishing. Why don't you just talk to them and see what they think? So one morning I woke up and I was like, I'm just going to do this. And I <laughs> wrote this. I looked back and I refoted it to her again just recently because I was like, I am. I cannot believe this. It was I think it was like hungover. I had like a stupid idea and it was there were grammatical errors, like spelling <sighs> errors. Like I didn't even do a spell check. Okay. Like it was really, really weird. But yeah. I was like, I wanted to introduce myself. I'm really into this concept about surfing and interior design and, um, you know, people building their lives around something they love doing. And she actually wrote back and, she, and, and then I, I kind of located it in California. And she was like, you know, I'm actually really interested in this topic. It's timely. And like the fact that you're bringing this up to me is really interesting. I'll be in L.A. next week. Would you like to meet? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so I guess at, at the breakfast, I was really nice, I guess. So um, she was like, I'm going to help you with your vision but let's do this. And I was like, okay. Like, I mean, I wrote a really bad email. So there was no proposal. There was nothing. And mind you, I've never done a design book before. I had no idea what she was talking about in advance. I don't know what like a release. I literally was like, what's happening? Yeah. Let me ask you a quick question. Did you, was social media around at this time? It was like seven years yeah, ago. It was like kind of happening. So did you have a presence on social media? No, no. I had like literally like three followers. It was like pictures of my dachshund too. Like oh it was like really, god. it was like really bad. You guys can go all the way through back in time in New York. Oh my god! So what you came to the table with was I you had your store. New, I had two stores in New York City. And yeah, LA. right. And I think I did have, you know, I had a, a very successful candle line that was like sold at five hundred stores. Yeah, and like things like that. So she knew you had this going on. Yeah. Okay. So she, it wasn't like I was coming to the table like, yeah. you know, I wasn't like laying on my couch. Yeah. I had a reputation in New York, and so she was feeding from that because she, the all the publishing houses are in New York. Right. You know, so that's yeah. where she kind of knew me and had heard yeah. at the store. Yeah. So anyway, so that part was a little bit of a blur, mind you. I was pregnant with my child, mm -hmm. first child, and I am not great at writing, and I didn't have a photographer lined up, and I had a really small budget. And she was like, go for it. I'll see you in eight months. And I was like, oh, oh my, my God. God. Yeah. And so I basically had to produce what I didn't know what I was going to produce. Like, I didn't know yeah. what the plan was really yeah. um, in eight months. This is also what I found fascinating, because you and I had talked about this separately, because I was... Oh, no, maybe it was when we talked on the podcast, but I was, like, imagining that you have, like, your crew, your, your crew of photographers, and everyone's, like, coming along with you. And you said... No, it was just me and the photographer, mm -hmm. like, traveling around the country and yeah. the world yeah. and just staying at, like, some really gross hotels and doing it. And you booking everything. 
like I literally feel like I should get like sponsored by Expedia and travel uh-huh. because it was crazy. Yeah. I mean, we showed up to the airport like going to Australia and like we didn't have a visa because I why would I know that? Because uh, yeah. I'm, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I am a travel agent, but I'm not really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I would like book this travel. You know, first it was a lot of communication with the with the homeowners, convincing them, finding the houses. Mm -hmm. You know, the goal was to publish things that were not published before. So that's confusing because, like, how am I going to find them? Yeah. So because I had no idea how to do things, I had to invent my own way, Mm. which was I couldn't search Pinterest. I couldn't because I was like, that's a regurgitated image. I couldn't really do like image searches in like Google. There were no like cool tagging systems and like reverse tags at that time. So all I had was Instagram and friends of friends. So every day I would come up with these crazy lists and I would have to, my minimum would be, I'd have to reach out to 40 people. If I met you, I will email you. I will email you my book idea. And you need to tell me if you know anyone in your circle or a friend of a friend or anyone that might have a house that's worth it. Wait, 40 people a day? A day. So like literally, I'm not even kidding. If you met me once, I probably sent you an email about this book. Oh my gosh. No, I was like, hi. And I'd personalize each one of them. Yeah. I was like, hi, I don't know if you remember me. You did my hair like once, like back in 2015. (laughs) Wow, yeah. You look like you're doing great. I see that you have a dude dog. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'd have to do research because I didn't want it to sound like generic. Yeah. And then I would sit there all day eating like multiple (laughs) chocolate croissants because I was pregnant. And I would just shoot emails emails out to every single person I know. Yeah. And then I would do Instagram searches. So the, when I, but when I'd write these emails, people would respond. They'd like write back. They'd be like, I think Laura, my friend Laura, like in Australia has like a ceramics company that might know like a girl. So then I'd be communicating with this girl in Australia that might have a friend on the other side of Australia that maybe I should go look at her house. And then I would like have to write thank you to that. Then I have to mm. reach out to this new person. Yeah. Then I'd be like, would you mind taking photos of your house? Respond to that or just like literally be like, oh my God, that house. But you know, like it would really, it was, a, it was like a total social experiment between social media. Like I would zero in on like stories or pictures. Oh my God, be yeah. like, wait, is that cool in the background? <laughs> but so like it would get, I mean, I can hunt someone down. The hustle came back. It came back. And because I was like, you know, pregnant and didn't know anyone and I didn't know what I was doing with the book, I didn't know how to find things. Yeah. I literally had to, I really just had to invent my own way. And then also lose any fear from emailing a stranger. Yeah. And that's really hard to do in the beginning. I imagine so. All right. So you did all this research. Mm-hmm. We're, we're talking about Surf Shacks, your yes. first one. Uh-huh. And you found the places. Mm-hmm. And then you and your photographer. Like just a backpack and like a dream. And just yeah. got on that, that yeah. plane and just would go there. Oh, my goodness. And then for, your, for each book afterwards, it seems like your traveling is just like... You're it's just up in the ante. This time I went bonkers. Like you went ne- bonkers. The next ha- book is going to literally be like houses in... Like your on my black, no. on my block. <laughs> yeah. I'm literally just gonna knock on my neighbor's door. And yeah, like, can I come in? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this one I overdid it a little bit. I remember my editor just like because it was COVID when I got the deal, and I was like, oh, like I, I really. She was like, just do you know the U.S. and I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I like was like writing down my list, and I was like, okay, we've done almost 14 countries now in nine months. Amazing. I am, like, dead inside, but yeah, yeah, it's it's fine. (laughs) Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery 
starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's been the most beautiful place, if you could say it? What's been the most adventurous place? And where have you had the best food? Well, so it's really hard because like when I go to these places, I go into these people's homes and I'm like so obsessed with their homes because yeah. I'm also obsessed with them and how they live and I like get to like see all the yeah. details that yeah. it's hard for me to say. Like once I'm in that world, I love everything about it. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, I would say the most beautiful was this place. Um, I guess I'm telling everyone about it now, but oh. um, it's called Ticino and it's in... Um, it's in Switzerland, but it is like it's right on the border of Italy. So it is the Italian food is like, mm. you know, the risottos, the pastas, the attitude, the whole vibes. Yeah. Swiss, like precision roads. Great. Yeah. And um, this area is actually it's all the way up in the mountains. There are about 20 separate small towns and each town has about like five to ten inhabitants. Oh. But they each have like four to five restaurants. Everyone owns a restaurant there. It's very quiet. It's a real journey up the mountains. I mean, like it is, those roads will make you want to cry yeah. in the back of a car yeah. because they are, you like look over and you're like, oh my God. Oh. Like yeah. so, sta- like really going yeah. down, downtown, like down. That's not good. So super terrifying. And, um, you know, even for groceries, like they use pulley systems or helicopters to lift, like garbage is taken away sometimes in helicopters. So they just call the helicopter and the helicopter. <laughs> wow, really? Yeah, yeah, no, it's crazy. It's cra- It's the coolest place. Yeah. The food, the people were incredible. Mm. There were very few tourists. Yeah. It looked like Swiss people were going there. Yeah. But that was it. And it was really remarkable. Are you going with a translator? No. Are you just making your way? I Google Translate. Yeah. So luckily the writer is completely fluent in Spanish. Yeah. He lives in Mexico, but he was born in Maryland. So he's, uh, he's bilingual, which is amazing. I can speak a little German. Um, Google Translate's my best friend. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, most people in Europe I found and other places that I was communicating, I, there was always a way to get to kind of English, except for in Korea where that was like just a no-go. But oh, like, yeah, yeah. 
But you don't have a fear of that either. Just that doesn't bother. No, I'm no. never afraid of that. I can always find a way to communicate with someone. Yeah. Like, you know, I, and I have a sense of that before I go based on their emails. Yeah. So if there was ever a need for a true translator, I would have figured it out. But so far, no. Right. Okay. I realized I was asking you about like these places when, as you're in the middle of trying to publish this book. And you're probably like, can you wait for the book to come out before? No, you can totally talk to me okay, about it. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> well, because, I mean, you don't know which house I photographed. That's there. true. That's true. Yes. What about adventure? Adventure story? Adventure story. Yeah. So we did go to a house in Patagonia. We'll tell this story, which also coincides with the best food. I cannot tell you whose house it went to. Okay. But essentially, we had to fly to Buenos Aires, fly, uh, which is like 13 hours, fly another three hours to this town called Commodoro Riviera, which I, no one needs Rivadavia, excuse me, um, which is really an industrial town. So, And then you get in a car and you drive for seven, like seven to nine hours. I think in the end it was like nine because we had a snowstorm on like hour seven. Meanwhile, I just want to let you know, I did not, I thought I was going to Patagonia in the fall and the last photos mm -hmm. I had seen were these beautiful images of these like red, orange and yellow trees. And then all of a sudden we're driving down a dirt road in the middle of literally nowhere mm. in a snowstorm, blackout conditions, literally no light. And I was like, okay. So we then like get to um, a fishing lodge, um, stay there overnight, snowstorm. I mean, we're talking feet of snow. I mean, it was nuts. Wake up the next morning and the, ho the person, the host, who, the homeowner came to pick us up by boat. It is in the middle of a blizzard. It is 32 degrees out. It is, he is suggesting that we get in an open boat in the middle of a snowstorm on a lake in Patagonia near the Andes for two hours with no radar. And I was like, okay. I was like, what is happening right now? Like, no one's going to come help us. And we get to this really remote island in Patagonia. And it was remarkable. It was one of the coolest experiences. But we were really alone. I mean, there was electricity. Everything had to be brought in the same way. There was no helicopter. There was no plane landing site. This, everyone that's ever traveled to this island, every piece of food, every single piece of furniture traveled the same exact route that I did. Mm, yeah. Which is literally nuts. Yeah. I was, you know, like you almost like don't want to eat food because you're like, is there enough on this island? <laughs> <laughs> I like no one's coming to get you if you break a leg like this is literally like you're gonna Dear have to God. use a popsicle stick um <laughs> it was it was really really remote it was shocking and and in those moments though are you like I love this or are you like why did I choose well, this I'm particular kind of like, I did this to myself <laughs> yeah no it is such an adventure I would not in, when you're in it you're yeah. like I, this is just like I mean what is that this is the coolest I would have never done this if unless I was doing the book yeah like what a crazy adventure yeah thank god this is my life yeah yeah you know but then you're like really thrilled when you land in Buenos Aires and you're like thank you <laughs> <laughs> all right so you have published two books you're working on your third one so you've had some experience what about publishing books feels the most magical to you? Well, I think a couple things. One is I think it's merging my love of looking inside people's homes like a creeper and, um, and traveling, you know, yeah. and that's the access. I think, you know, we can all go to travel to Portugal or to Patagonia, but like that's a very different trip if I'm going with my family and staying in a hotel versus me going into someone's home and kind of seeing how they actually live yeah. there, right? Like yeah. smelling their foods or seeing the bread on the counter because they left it out from breakfast and, yeah. and kind of seeing the books on their shelves, the plants, you know, just everything 
you can understand through their house. So right, right. it's a way of understanding a location based on the inside of someone's house that I would yeah. never get otherwise. As a, even you feel very different when you're you come in as a guest, as opposed to feeling like you're visiting a country. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. Almost uh, like you know you feel part of it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and then, so I think that's part of it. The other part is like, you know, sometimes I like run out of inspiration. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, we can all talk about we always have inspiration, but sometimes yeah. I'm like on Instagram and I'm like, saw that, saw that three days ago, already yeah. saw that again. I totally know that's this month's issue. Got it. And like, right. and, and like that's exhausting, you know? Yeah. Um, and I've come to the end of Pinterest searches too. Like, you know, you're like, is that at the same image I just saw yeah. like 10 minutes ago? What's yeah. happening now? Right. So I think for me, it's like, how do I still stay constantly excited about what I do and about interiors and also see what other people are doing that are not interior designers? Because that is where the magic happens, I think. Yeah. People are really smart. They're really good at interior design. They're really good at just like making a home for themselves. Thank God. And it's not just professionals. And I love to see what other people can do. Like, it's so cool. That's really beautiful. I love that. Now, for people who are like maybe interested in publishing a book, what are some of the bigger challenges? Like, what's the, what are some of like the, let's get real here, what really goes into? What's like making a book? Yeah. Well, I, I would say, I think challenge number one truly is like the financial aspect of making a book, which I think people should talk about because I think that's like, it's a little unfair, you know, like it's, um, let's talk about bookmaking, it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> let's do it. Design <laughs> books are not like, you know, you're not selling 2 million copies. Uh-huh. Yeah. Who knows? But like, are no, you not though? I mean, come on. No, we are. We've sold over, <laughs> we've sold over a, like 120,000 copies. That's that for a design book. That's enormous. Right. I understand like in the grand scheme of like the population of America, that yeah. doesn't sound like that many, but you know, we're design driven people. So we are the ones that are buying the books. Everyone in America is not buying design books, right. which is the truth of it. So right. we're not publishing a novel. It's a very specific market. Mm. So I think like advances are not like enormous. Yeah. And you have to decide, you know, for me, I couldn't, ma- I, it's not a way of making a living, truly, mm-hmm. like interior design is. But mm-hmm. make, doing books, the amount, you'd have to pump them out so fast. Plus, you would have to bring another skill set to the table. So you'd either have to be a photographer or you'd be willing to write your book. I can barely write an email, Mm. as I told you. Yes, yes. Uh So I'm not the right writer for the books. (laughs) And it's a tremendous amount of work, too. So you really have to be ready for all of that. And then also, it's really a team effort. There are a lot of voices sitting at the table, and you have to figure out what that is. Right. You have an editor. You have their sales team. You have their publishing house. You have maybe an agent or maybe not. You have a writer, you have a photographer, you have yourself, and you have all the people that you're including in the book, if you're doing a design book or whatever, that you're trying to please or make Mm -hmm. sure that they're represented in the best way possible. So that becomes really challenging. That's a lot of people. Right. You know, even though it feels like there's just one name on the cover, that's actually completely false. Yeah. You know? So I think it's those things you have to really just, and you have to really love what you're about to do because the amount of, it is like, just so much work you have to really love the topic you're doing it on so yeah. it can't just be like a cool idea yeah that like you want to see in like some cool bookstore it better be something that you deeply love because otherwise halfway along the journey there's no way you can make it because you know there's all this travel which sounds super fun but then i have to take every photo there are three thousand of them i have to edit them down to 250 mm. i then have to have those edited i then have to put them in order and then decide which ones are going into the book I mean, the narrowing down process is like bonkers, you know, like it's just 
like impossible. Yeah. And you're trying to tell a story and communicate and like come up with a cohesive vision. And for me, because it's so many different houses and the styles are so different that there has to be a thread between all of that. And that's actually very complicated. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, telling stories. Oh. I know. Oh. But you're going to continue doing it. I love it so much. I do. <laughs> I like love it so much. But every, I've always, this is it's this phase at every project when I'm, it's literally me. When everyone else like disappears, like the photographer can go home. Yeah. The writer's finished all his chapters. Right. And then it's just me and it's so much work I have to do still that I'm like, whew. But every time I feel so proud of them and I love them. Yeah. And seeing them in a store like makes me want to cry. Like even seeing them here, Mm -hmm. I keep looking at that biblio style over there. Mm -hmm. Um, I just like them. So it's such an amazing thing. Yeah. And I, so I would keep doing them. Yeah. I just need to keep coming up with ideas. Yeah. But I don't know how many more I've got. Left. You just, well, you, you just know. keep traveling and you get your inspiration. Figure it out. And then, figure yeah. It out. Yeah. All right. I have a couple more questions and then we're going to open up to some questions Great. here. So, if someone wanted to get started on creating a design book, yeah. what are just a few little tips and takeaways that you could share? on how people could just even get started. So one is like, I guess, I think number one is make sure that you find that what you're wanting to do is like truly authentic. It has to be something you really care about. Otherwise just stop right there and keep digging. I think it has to be inclusive and feel accessible to a a wide range of people. You know, when I first approached the editor, I was like, it's going to be about like homes in Venice, California. She was like, you're going to care. Like, people here are going to care in Venice. People in Brooklyn are going to care. What about everyone else? Yeah. And I was like, you're right. Thank yeah. you. Because mm-hmm. it, felt, it felt exclusionary. People don't understand, know about it, care, like, all sorts of reasons, right? Right, right. So you have to make sure that it feels everyone can kind of access what you're about to put out. Yeah. And then I think that speaking with people, speaking with other authors about the reality of what it is like, so, like, I've had people ask me out for a coffee and I will go every single time Mm. because I do think what I didn't do enough of was ask other people's advice. And I think understanding what you're about to head into is super critical. Yeah. And then also assembling your, find, find the people, find the books that you love and find the people you love. So you have to start by like, go to your bookstore and find your dream art book. Mm. You flip to the back into the acknowledgement section and everyone's like, who's your editor? Who's your book agent? Who's, guess what? They're all back there. Yeah. Every yeah. single one of them. And guess what? You type those into Google and you know their email addresses pretty much because you can, you type it in two different ways and yeah. one of them right. is not going to bounce back. Right, right, right. Yeah. And then, um, and then you can pretty, so in a way, like you really can figure out all of this. You don't need to ask for favors unless you have a direct connection. You can truly do this like on your own. And then I think you're really showing up with like your clear statement and purpose. Mm. So, but it does not have to be a chapter. It could simply be, you know, what you're really trying to do. And then you're also always including like maybe a mood board of like image styles that you like, Mm. um, like your dream chapter, like an image or something. And then also what books have been published that are similar, but how yours would be different. So they're always looking at that competition. They'll look up like, you know, for a mountain house, I certainly was like, oh, look at cabin porn. Mm -hmm. That thing has been around forever. Has sold a bazillion copies. My book is not even close to what that is, but the topic is not, you know, it's cabin houses. I mean, we have some cabins in our book. So, you know, you don't need to be afraid that no one's going to be able to understand it. Look at the success of this book. Right, right. Yeah. So I think all those things should 
should get you on your way, hopefully. Those I mean, are good tips. I know, guys. Good <laughs> tips. Do you think now that people should have like a strong social media presence now? For design books? I think that publishers want to see that. Yeah. I mean, I think they'd be psyched if they saw you had over, like, you know, they don't even require that. I don't think it's that much. But I think if they see over 40, they're pretty psyched. Over 40,000. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I don't. 40 listen, people? I think amazing. I, listen, I think if you have over, I think if you have over 400,000, you're probably, you're publishing, you're probably getting approached by publishers anyway. The people will approach, you know, like yeah. everyone's out looking. So right. that's not confusing. Oh. So it's not... You know, um, you don't have to. I think if you have less, you have to kind of force your way in and find a, a niche. But you also yeah. have to tell the story of why you're the one that's supposed to be telling the story, right? Like, I, I might have a great idea, but like, why am I the authority? Why am I the author yeah. of this book? Right. And so that is, sorry, that's an important thing to like mention in that proposal why you're the person to tell that story. Yeah. So. That's a good tip. All right, let's open this up to some questions. What do you think, Nina? I'd love that. Are you ready for it? Okay, let's do it. Gab, do you want to go first? Sure. Okay. Uh, so on the topic of books, I am curious. Biblio style, I see as a little bit of an outlier in the sense that it's one area of a home and not an entire house, but mm -hmm. it's still centered around a passion. Yep. Are there other passion points within the home that you've explored and could turn into a book later? Such a good question, and thank you for noticing it's a little bit of the outlier. Um, <laughs> In the best way. No, I know. I, 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 mean, I appreciate I'm that. One thank, of the thank you so much. Thank you. Copies. <laughs> I mean, I think the theme in the books, whether it's about an object or a thing or it's a passion, it's like I'm trying to find a way to look at a house through a lens. So like the book allowed me, the book is literally the most important part of the house, accessory, I think. Like without them, every house will feel cold and like a showcase and like really please just like, you know load up, load up the books. But also I think people feel burdened by that. It's just, it's, it's a very interesting topic, but I, it, it's a way like books can be everywhere in a the house. They'll be in the, in the bathroom. They'll be like in the dining room. They'll be in a living room. That meant that I could kind of view the house in that level. And then same with surf shack, the surfboard could be outside, inside, there could be sand on the thing. I could then go do an overview of the house without just being like home tour of just like random things. Right. Um, I think that is a great question about what else could be in a home that could like, you mean like an object? I don't know, but like when I figure it out, I'm like definitely write a book about it. <laughs> uh, you know, I think Mountain House and Surfshack are very much tied together because it's talking about people's decisions in life and they feel so passionate that they're willing to like hike for two miles to like go like get groceries, you know? And Surfshack, people were so committed to their surfing lifestyle that they had to live wherever they had to live. Not necessarily mm -hmm. even beachside. It just had to be yeah. there. I don't know what the next thing is. I just, I feel really strongly about books and, but I'm going to think about that. Right on. Did you have a question, Miss, at the end here? I am interested in what you said about your candle business. Actually, you didn't really talk about it, but I'm like an aspiring candle maker as of like two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I feel kind of like all in on it where I'm like, this could be my thing. And, and could you just talk about Oh my God. That? I will tell it's like the craziest story. This is like Do another it. weird thing I did that I didn't know anything about. So welcome. <laughs> um, so I had a store in New York city and I, and it was a really small home decor store. And like then so we were, I was talking with someone about product 
And I was like, I'd love to start producing my own product. All I do is sell other people's products, like other makers' products, which was so lovely, but like my markup was like, I mean, it's really hard to sell exclusively other people's stuff. So someone's like, you should produce your own product. And I was like, great idea. What is that? And so they were like, look at what sells the most in this store. And I was like, great idea. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing again. (laughs) So I went through sales and literally number one was candles. Like candles, like every day, all the time. I was like importing them from Great Britain. They smelled like log fires. It was like a whole hit. And it was just, it was really crazy because I really didn't want to be the candle, like the, the store owner that had like that, like candle like burning over there and like my dog and be like welcome to my interior store I could just see like how that like spiraled out of control and I would become the woman I never wanted to be but then I was like let's give this a shot so this is actually a really weird story but I actually started driving by like in so I moved to California and then I started driving by like stone candles you know the one like right over like it's like it's like pretty close to here is it called stone Stone candles it's called stone candles they had like make your own candle like classes Mm. But they also produce candles. Yeah. So one day I just like walked in there and I was like, so you guys make candles? And they were like, yes, we do. And I was like, what's the minimum order? They're like, whatever, 20. And I was like, cool. So <laughs> I, so I got, this is like the craziest story. So then I started producing these scents. I found someone to help with the labels. Um, I started to sell the, the candles in very small quantities. And I was like, wouldn't this be cool if I like made this like a bigger thing? Um, and then I was like, oh, so there are like regulations on candles because mm. it's fire. So I should put a warning sticker on the bottom and I'll do all that stuff. So there's like stuff which we can talk about. <laughs> but, um, you know, so I had a manufacturer start producing them and like I started marketing them and then people would come into the store and buy like 10 of them. And I was like, what's happening right now? And I was like, this is crazy. And then one day I got a call from West Elm because they would like to place an order. Oh. And I was like, this oh, is big. my God. Mm-hmm. And they were like, can you do this? And I was like, uh, yes, absolutely. It'll be ready in six weeks. And I was like, great. <laughs> so, then, so then they were like, have you had your candles like safety rated? And I was like, not yet, but it will happen. <laughs> and um, they were like, is it, does, is it translated in French, your warning labels on the bottom? And like, is it at like 2.4 font? And it's like, like, what's happening? And do you have it? Anyway, guys, I just will tell you, I went down the journey of what it is like to move a candle that is allowed to be mass produced. Okay, so that started happening and started selling West Elms. It started selling at Saks Fifth Avenue, like off Fifth, like the weird, like it just blew up. But I was doing a lot of sales a year. Mm. It it actually overtook both stores and my interior design business at one time. Plus e-commerce. It was house interior. It was the house candle. So we'd have school house, log house. But it was like kind of selling. Like it was like the weirdest thing. So then I finally got a rep and then he started repping it and handling the small mom and pop stores so that I could manage the big e-commerce stores and get those things shipped out. Um, And this is like my favorite story because I will tell the story because it's so good. So I started emailing. This was when Stephen Allen existed. Do you remember? Yeah. So cool. So I emailed Stephen Allen store. Like, my dream was, like, to have my candles in his store. <laughs> and they were like, no. Oh. <laughs> they were like, but we do know someone at J. Crew, And I was like, okay, okay. So I literally emailed Mickey Drexler. And he literally responded, because I'm a freak show. I swear to God, I'm telling you guys, you can email anyone on the planet, 
and someone will get back to you. This is like the moral of all the stories I'm hearing. No, I'm t- uh, guys, this yeah, is like, like my it. magic. Like, just literally send an email. And it's yeah. okay if they don't write back. Like, no big deal. Don't, like, freak out. Have a glass of wine. Just, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And if you have to be, like, wasted while you write the email because you have so much anxiety, just do it. Whatever. Just write the email. So then he was like, would you mind coming in for a meeting? So I met in with, I went in with one of the buyers, and they were like, so listen, we don't really do candles. We've never done candles before in the store. But we really like the candles, and you're going to be our first candle line. We are going to place a big order. It's going to be Jenna Lyons' pick for Mother's Day. Would have blown up. So I prepared the order. It was uh, like hundreds of thousands of candles. Um, And I remember the day that it shipped, and my shipper was here in California, and they were like, listen, it's the hottest day of the year. No. Are you sure you want to ship today? And I was like, I cannot. If I miss this deadline, it is over. Yeah. Meanwhile, I just would like to let you know, FedEx bought trucks usually go up to like, they, they average from 89 to 93 degrees on the interior, oh, which is yeah. like something that you, your candle threshold would have to make to not melt. That day was, my fragrance level went up a little bit because I added a little something in that candle to make it extra good. Yeah. And my melting point went down by two degrees. And I shipped out so many candles and I got a call and they were like, we're unfortunately going to turn these back to you. Oh. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. So my point of the story is. Is? Is. <laughs> what? Is. Don't make a candle. Don't make a candle. <laughs> you know, listen, I'm sending flammable, meltable things in glass across the country. It was so much work. You know, you got to get custom boxes, the whole thing. Yeah. There's so much joy, though, in a candle. People still email me to this day asking for the discontinued scents. They love the scent. They're afraid to burn the last moments of the mm. candle. They're saving this candle. People love a candle. Yeah. It's also the perfect gift. Our price range was $32. It was not like the very expensive mm-hmm. candles where you're like, I can't mm-hmm. buy that because I literally cannot buy anything else this month mm-hmm. because that candle is so expensive. Mm-hmm. And I think the business is incredible because there is a lot of opportunity there. And I think, you know, at the time of people were moving away from paraffin and whatever, and we were going to coconut wax and some of the cleaner burns. Um, I think the candle is an amazing business. I just think there were layers that once again, I joined, I kind of entered and I was like, candles. And then you're like, oh my God, you know, LTL freight shipping and like unrefrigerated trucks with like, you know, how do you even like wrap a candle so that it doesn't break into small pieces as it ships across the country? Just learning experiences, guys. I mean, so many of these things sound in theory so exciting, like make a book and make some candles and design a hotel and there's there, there's and, stuff, and there's behind, stuff it. behind the scenes. Yeah. And you know, some things like that was like my, like you win some, you lose some. I definitely yeah. lost that. Yeah. A lot of candles. Um, So I would say that, but it was very successful for a long period of time. So I'm very, very grateful for that. And that was like super fun. It was not scalable for me. And I I didn't have my heart in the shipping process. Yeah. You know, I kind of bailed on that part. I was like, you know what I mean? So, you know, and really, quite frankly, someone else should have been helping me who had experience. So that was like, you know, tough. So. So good luck. No. So good luck. Have to so you, much fun with that. With your candle well, listen. Business. If you need, if you have specific questions, certainly ask. Ooh. I will say that um, definitely ask people. But I would say that some of the safety regulations are really important as a small candle maker. But it is a really beautiful process, and the the meeting with the fragrance houses and stuff, and developing your own scent is really fun. 
you know, so. I have one more question for you, just to wrap all of this up. So I asked this before when you were on the podcast. Our podcast is called Being Home with Hunker. Mm -hmm. And I love to ask what being home means to you, which you did answer, and people can go and listen to other episodes. But I'm curious, with all of your traveling, especially in these past nine months that you've been doing some really intense traveling, has that idea of being home changed for you? What does it mean for you? Yeah, I mean, I, that's actually such a nice question because I do think when I leave and then come back, I experience my home, like my gratefulness for being home and why I feel so comfortable in my home is so interesting to me. You know, the other locations had, even when you travel with your family, like you have like your clothes or you have maybe your kids with you or you have a bed to sleep in. Someone, there's breakfast coming for you somehow, you know? There's something about, like, just the minute you enter your house, even if you've recently moved or whatever, that you just feel so much better. Like, just so comforted. And it's just, like, this natural instinct that we seek our own shelter and, like, and the stuff around us. I know people talk about, like, stuff and things and, like, that's meaningless and we have, like, our brains and, like, we don't need that and we can live in, like, you know. But I actually do think those things do matter. They each tell a story. We all know where every single item came from in our house. And we also made those cho- that choice to get that. Sometimes they, you know, sometimes maybe, like, you, like, walked by it and it was on the side of the road and you picked it up. But, like, th- it's like those things in your house exist for a reason. Mm. I think that's, and we don't even know why we love them sometimes. Like, you're just like, why is that there? Like, I freaking love that thing. It's like so weird. Like my husband sometimes like, what's happening over there? (laughs) Like, whatever, it's staying there. Just like, leave it. Don't like, just walk by it. But I think that's so interesting to me. We all say we don't have an attachment to things, but we do. We do. And it's okay too. You know, we're attached to a chair and the way it feels or where we've read or we got bad news. Like when we were like, you know, doing something in the house and you can remember that location. There's something about that that is so um, important to us as humans that I just feel very, I just, I'm grateful like for a home and for being able to make it the way that I feel comfortable. um, And that's exciting to me. So it's beautiful, Nina. It's so beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you guys. For coming here. Thank you. I think I've said this before. I'll say it again. You're just delightful. Oh, you are too. Thank you. Very generous. Very generous with your time and um, offering for people to send you emails now to ask questions. Guys, so you get ready, girl. My email. Get like, ready. Is it my first name? Is it my first name? Dot my last name? Which one is it? Shoot out emails to all of yes. them. And I will also say, I just want to say for people to go follow you on Instagram because yeah. you have been um, showing like behind the scenes photographs of your adventures. I haven't put things. out the Mountain House book one yet just because I'm afraid um, of sharing too much about the homes, but we're certainly rolling them out now as we get closer so, yeah. and then no one's going to be able to travel to like these far off places at yeah. the same time. So yeah, we're like, now true. we can do it. Yeah, And we'll keep an eye out for your next book. I'm so Fall 2023. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. That was so fun. To learn more about Nina, visit her website at freudenbergerdesign.com or find her on Instagram at Nina Freudenberger. Also in our show notes, you can discover other episodes we think you might like based on this conversation, such as my original chat with Nina back in 2021. Thank you for listening to Being Home with Hunker. 
For more information about this episode or others, visit hunker.com forward slash podcast. And if you don't already, please follow our show. If you like what you hear, be sure to give us a five-star rating and review and share it with your friends. It really does help. Being Home with Hunker is produced by me, Lori Gunning Grossman. Eve Epstein is our executive producer. The podcast is recorded and mixed at Night Shift Audio. Theme music by Jonathan Grossman. Special thanks to our team at Hunker, Senior Designer Maury Men, and Director of Audience Development Gina Goff. Hunger's mission is to inspire and empower you to create a space that expresses who you are, shows off your unique style, and makes your life happier and more productive. 